Well, as many of you would know, uh, 2014 has now finished. A few days ago, we celebrated the end of 2014 and welcomed in the beginning uh, of the new year. And at the turn of the year, it's a, it's a great opportunity for us to stop and reflect. Uh, reflect on what has come in the past, to give thanks to God for the, for the many exciting things that have happened. And we have seen exciting things happen, right? Both here in our congregation and across the parish, uh, we've seen people become Christians. And isn't that a great thing to give thanks to God for, that people have decided to commit their life to following the Lord Jesus? Uh, we've seen people grow in their Christian maturity, grow as disciples of the Lord Jesus. And, and that, friends, that's a, a great thing to stop and give thanks to God for. But also, as we reflect on the year that's gone, uh, there may also be a tinge of sadness. You may face challenges in 2014 as we live in this world that is marred by sin and sickness and death. Perhaps 2014 has been really hard for you. Perhaps you've lost someone close to you. Perhaps you've struggled with your health. Perhaps you've seen the consequences of sin. Uh, perhaps you've seen people continue to reject the gospel. See, in 2014, we've seen the expression of evil in our world. We see that our world is broken and marred by sin. And yet for all the ups and all the downs of 2014, the reality is, is that year has finished, right? That year has come to a close and now we look to the future. And so it's worth stopping to think, well, what will the future bring? What do we look forward to God doing in 2015? But as we look forward to 2015, we may also be filled with, with apprehension. Uh, what will this year bring? But as we look at this little letter from 2 John, I think the great encouragement we find is as we look to 2015, that this be a year that we grow in both the truth and in love. This letter encourages us to walk in the truth, to obey the truth, and to walk in love. See, over summer we have this uh, the summer series at Snack, as we're calling it, uh, looking at short books of the Bible. So last week we looked at the book of Philemon, uh, today we're looking at this little letter of 2 John and next week uh, we'll be looking at 3 John. Uh, and so as we look at this little letter we'll see those, those great themes of truth and love. But before we get stuck into the letter it's worth just asking a few kind of uh, preliminary questions I guess. You know, questions like well, who's writing the letter, who are they writing to and, and why was this letter written in the first place? Because those questions will, will help us uh, understand the letter itself. So if you just come with me uh, to the first verse of the letter, verse 1, uh, we hear a little bit of information. So verse 1, uh, it says, The elder to the elect lady and her children. Now in the ancient world, this is how you wrote a letter. You began with the author, okay? So the elder, and then you had the, the recipient, right? To the elect lady and her children. But who is this author? Who is this elder? Uh, it's the kind of question that, you know, when you read commentaries, they have all different kinds of ideas of who this person might be. Uh, but I think there's actually a pretty good argument that this is the Apostle John writing this letter, which is why the letter has the name to John. Okay, and why is that? Well, if you look at the letters of John, so 1, 2, and 3 John, and also the Gospel of John, you'll see there's a lot of similarity between them, which I think suggests that they were written by the same author, right? And the fourth Gospel, that was written... Oh, hang on. Can you still hear me? We've lost... I don't know what's happened. Are we back on? Okay, the lights will probably just take a minute to warm back up. 
That's all right. We'll keep going. Okay, so the author of the letter, the elder, who is it? Uh, the Gospel of John. See, in the fourth Gospel, it says that he was written, it was written by the beloved disciple, uh, which many Christians think is the Apostle John. Okay, so putting that together, we have the Apostle John, the one who was with Jesus from the very beginning, who wrote the fourth Gospel, and now 1, 2, and 3 John, right? But then, who is he writing to? It says, to the elect lady and her children. And I think what John's doing here is he's speaking figuratively. So when he says, the elect lady, he's speaking about a church. And so the children are the members of the church. Now, why do I say that? Well, there's, there's a couple of reasons, but I think the main reason comes in verse 13. So if you just skip your eyes down to verse 13, at the end of the letter, see, John finishes by saying, the children of your elect sister send you greetings. Now, if we imagine that John was writing to an individual, the elect lady, then the children of her elect sister would be her nephew and nieces, right? But then it would seem a little bit strange a way to finish the letter, right? Your nephews and nieces send you greetings. But, but I think much more likely is that the elect sister, that is John speaking about the church that he is part of. And so the children of the elect sister are the Christians. The Christians, part of John's congregation. So putting that together, then we have the elder, the apostle John, writing this letter to a church, to a group of Christians. But why is he writing the letter? Well, I think the key is in verse 7. See, John says, many deceivers have gone out into the world. John is speaking of false teachers here. He's heard that these false teachers are out and about, and so he's written this letter to this congregation to encourage them to walk in truth and to walk in love. And hopefully you see that kind of in the structure of the passage. It should come up on the screen, hopefully. No, it doesn't. Okay, that's all right. Just imagine for a moment, right? There is a very beautifully illustrated slide that I've spent many, many hours it really wasn't that complicated. Um, I'll describe it to you. Okay, so at the top, it said, greeting, verse 1 to 3. Okay, underneath that, it had 1, part 1 of the letter, love and truth in theory. Then part 2, verses 7 to 11, was truth and love in action. And then the greeting, verse 12, or the farewell, sorry, verse 12 and 13. Okay, so that's, the, that's kind of the structure of the letter. And it's kind of the structure of my talk as well. You see the outline's a little bit blank. Um, but I'll just say that again. So verses 1 to 3 is the greeting. Verse 4 to 7, sorry, verse 4 to 6 uh, is truth and love in theory. Verse 7 to 11, right? Yeah. Uh, truth and love in action. And then the farewell, verse 12 and 13. Hopefully that's, that's helpful for you. Anyway. So that's the structure of the letter. We're going to jump straight into the body of the letter. So we're going to go straight uh, to verse 4. We've had a little look at the greeting. Uh, we'll dive in at verse 4. So please uh, have a look with me there. Verse 4. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in the truth, in keeping with the command we've received from the Father. So here we see the first great theme of the letter, that of truth. See, John has been encouraged to hear that this group of Christians are walking in the truth, that they're living in obedience to the truth the truth that has come from the Father. So we're not speaking about any truth here, we're talking about the gospel truth, 
the truth that came with the person of Jesus, the truth that John knows about because he was with Jesus from the very beginning. So the first theme, that of truth. Secondly, in verse 5, we find love. So verse 5, So now I urge you, dear lady, not as if I was writing you a new command, but one we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. So here's the second great theme, that of love. Love for one another. And so John, or the elder, encourages these readers to love their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And this sort of love command, love for one another, is is very characteristic of John's writing. So in the fourth gospel, the gospel that John wrote, uh, we find these words in verse 13. Uh, Jesus speaking, he says, I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you must also love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So you can see that that love command is really kind of characteristic of John's writing. And so on the service in the letter, we have these two great truths, right? Well, so two great themes, truth and love. But then, like much of John's writing, while at first it seems straightforward, when you kind of look a bit more closely, things are a little bit more complicated. And you can actually see there's a connection between verse 4 and verse 5, right? Just have a look at me again, verse 4. He says, I'm glad to find people walking the truth in keeping with a command, a command we've received from the Father. Then in verse 5, he tells us what that command is. The command is that we love one another. So we see then truth, to know the truth, the gospel truth, that leads to love. Love for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And so you see these two themes are connected, that of truth and love, but the connection gets a little bit more complicated in verse 6. So look with me there, verse 6, he says, this is love that we walk according to his commands. So, so love then is obedience, obedience to the commands of God. And when he puts it like that, if, if we think of you know, the other writings of John, it suggests he's talking about the love of, or the love of God. So in 1 John, the first letter that he'd written, uh, we read this. It says, For this is what love for God is, to keep his commands. So we love God by obeying him. And so back to 2 John then, he's talked about love for one another, but now he's speaking about love of God. And yet we also learn from 1 John that love of God leads to love for one another. So again, in, in 1 John he says, If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. The one who loves God must also love his brother. So you can see, he's really stretching us, John, isn't he? We've got to work hard to understand what he's saying. That the truth leads to love, but then love, the kind of love that John's speaking about in 2 John, must be shaped by obedience. Obedience to the truth that comes from the Father. So truth leads to love, And love must be shaped by the truth. Okay, so far so good. But then in the rest of verse 6, there's another kind of spanner in the works. Have a look, verse 6. It says, this is love that we walk according to the commands. Okay, commands is plural. But then he says, this is the command. As you've heard it from the beginning, you must walk in love. So love is obedience to the commands. The command is walk in love. All right, it's... You've got to work hard to understand what's going on here, right? But then if you look even more closely, just look with me again at verse 6, right? At the very end of the verse, you'll see a footnote. 
I've got the letter C there, and if you follow that down to the bottom, uh, it says literally in it. So when John wrote this letter, he didn't write the word love. He wrote the word it. Okay, and for those who translated the Bible for us into English, which is a very helpful thing, we're thankful for that, what they've done is they've seen John write the word it, and they understand him to be referring to love. Okay, so they've put love there to be helpful, to try and uh, kind of, you know, help us out, which is, which is good, right? And there's a good case for it being love. Uh, the word it is a, is a feminine it, so it must refer to a feminine noun, and love is feminine, so that kind of makes sense, walking in love's in the context, all good so far, except there's another option. See, the word truth is also a feminine noun. Truth's in the context, verse 4, he talks about walking in the truth, and so maybe he finishes a section by talking about walking in truth. In verse 7, which follows, he'll go on to talk about false teachings, so it kind of makes sense, truth, pretty good case, right? But then, if he meant truth, why didn't he write truth? Why did he write it? Well, I think the point of what John's trying to do is he's really trying to stretch us. He's really trying to make us work hard to understand what's going on here, and particularly to see this deep connection between truth and love. That to know the truth, to know the Christian truth revealed in the person of Jesus, that must lead to love. Love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And yet the kind of love that he's speaking about is, must be shaped by obedience. Love must be shaped by the truth, the truth that comes from God. And I think John kind of helps us out a little bit more in that we see it played out in his life, okay? or at least a, a glimpse of it uh, in the very first couple of verses. So just come with me back to the greeting. I'll just show you what I mean. So he says, the elder, the elect lady and her children, I love all of you in the truth. Okay, so John, he loves these fellow Christian believers. And why is that? Verse 2, because of the truth that remains in us and will be with us forever. So John loves them because of the truth that he knows. But how does he express his love? By writing them a letter. A letter that's all about truth in the face of false teaching. So we see how truth and love are connected. So what this means then, in 2015, if you want to be growing in your love, your love for God, your, your love for your fellow brothers and sisters for Christ, you want to grow in your love for those around you who are not yet Christian, you need to be convicted of the truth. The truth that we see in the Lord Jesus, the truth that was passed on to us through the scriptures from the apostles. But not just that we would know about it in our head, that we would know more about the Bible. I mean, that's a good thing, right? But know it in our hearts. That it would be something that we're really convinced of. Something that shapes our life and transforms us. Particularly the truth that God first loved us. That he has shown us grace and mercy in his son, Jesus Christ so that we may enjoy peace with him. And so as we come to read the Bible in 2015 and reflect on the truth revealed to us, we need to pray. Pray that we'd understand it, but pray that we'd be convinced of it. That it would be something in our heart that shapes our life. But then there's the flip side, right? If we're going to do that, if we're going to grow in our knowledge of the truth, then that should lead to 
love. And so as we do that, we look for opportunities to love those around us, particularly our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, but also those around us as we hold out the word of truth. Because the kind of love that John is speaking about here is love shaped by truth. And in this particular instance, as he writes, it leads him to speak the truth, to speak up against these false teachers who have gone out. And that's what he goes on to in the second part of his letter, uh, in verses 7 through to verse 11, a truth and love in action. But if we want to understand that, and particularly the, the very radical thing that he calls his readers to, we first need to understand that, that truth and love are connected. That we need to understand truth and love in theory, which is what we've been looking at in verses 4 to 6. So let's go on to the second part in verse 7. And the second part, uh, truth and love in action. And he begins the section by talking about uh, the situation. So verse 7, have a look with me there. He says, Many deceivers have gone out into the world. They do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Okay, so this is the reason that John has written the letter. Because he's heard of these false teachers about. And he describes them, he says, Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. And then... He says they are the deceiver and the antichrist. So he's very, very strong against them, isn't he? A very strong word. But that's all he says about the false teachers here in this letter. But what we find in 1 John, uh, John 1, sorry, 1 John, what we find in 1 John is a more detailed explanation of who the false teachers were, what they were teaching, and why they were wrong. And so it seems that these readers, they've already read 1 John, and this is like a, like a follow-up letter. So he just has a, a one verse about these false teachers. But he's particularly writing to encourage them. And we find that in, in verse 8. He says, Watch yourselves so you don't lose what we have worked for, that you may receive a full reward. So he says, given there's these false teachers about, you need to be very careful. Careful that you yourselves don't fall into error, but you stand firm in the truth. And why is that important? Well, in verse 9 he says, the truth matters. Have a look, verse 9. Anyone who does not remain in Christ's teaching but goes beyond it does not have God. Okay, so John, he's very clear here, isn't he? That if you do not remain in Christian teaching, that we have from Jesus recorded us from the Scriptures, then you do not have God. You do not have a relationship with him. So we see the truth really matters, right? He drives the point home by saying the flip side in the rest of the verse. He says the one who, who does remain in that teaching, this one has both the Father and the Son. And so you can see the truth really matters. The truth that we believe and shape our life, it really does matter because it affects our relationship with God, whether we can call him our Father. But now if you, if you look at the letter as a whole, it's all been building to verse 10, the next verse in the letter. Because this is where the rubber really hits the road for these readers. He's talked about truth and love and theory. He's talked about how the truth really matters. And here he builds up to the, main, or the, the kind of main encouragement in verse 10 that they are to refuse hospitality to these false teachers. Have a look, verse 10. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your home and don't say welcome to him. 
For the one who says welcome to him shares in his evil works. So this is where the rubber really hits the road for these Christians. And we have to understand that this is a very radical thing that John is encouraging them to do. See, back in the first century, hospitality was a really important part of the culture. If you were traveling around, you know, there weren't hotels and motels that you could stay in. Uh, There were inns, but they weren't the kind of inns that you wanted to stay in. And so as you were traveling around, not in your air-conditioned car, but as you were walking on foot, you relied on the hospitality of, of family and of friends, and particularly friends of friends, so that you had somewhere to stay. But more than that, if you were a teacher, if you went around, then you relied on this hospitality, right? Not just so you had somewhere to stay, but also so you had a place to teach. And the expectation in the first century was that you would accept those who came to you, particularly if they came with a letter of recommendation. And so for these Christians to say, no, you can't come in, that would have been very, very rude. Actually, more than that, see, this is a a culture of shame and honour, it would have been shameful, a very radical and countercultural thing to do. Why would they do it? Because the truth matters. That's the point that John has been making. The truth matters, but more than that, out of love. Love for their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that they would not share in the evil works of these false teachers. That they would not promote them teaching error. And so John encourages them in that very difficult action of refusing hospitality to them. So then we see, as we look at 2 John, uh, what it meant for them back in the first century. That for them to walk in truth and love meant refusing hospitality. But I guess the question we need to wrestle with is what does it mean for us today? What does it mean for us to walk in truth and love? And we'll have a look at that uh, together in a moment. Because there's... There's many things we could say, right? To walk in truth and love, that's like the Christian life. But having looked at this letter from 2 John, it leads us to speak about false teaching. Because the reality is, friends, and and we can't be naive about this, that there are false teachers today. There were false teachers back in the first century, and there are false teachers in the 21st century. There are people who claim to be Christian, who claim to be our brothers and sisters in Christ, and yet they do not teach the truth, but they teach error. And so if we're aware of that, at the very least, 2 John encourages us to, well, to watch ourselves. To watch ourselves that we are not persuaded by error, but that we stand firm in the truth. And the best way to... Well, to guard against error is to, well, to read the Bible for ourselves. And so as we begin the new year, 2015, what a a great opportunity to recommit again to a pattern of reading the Bible for yourself. But more than that, you might, might, as a goal in 2015, decide to do a PTC course that you might learn about how more the the, the Bible fits together or you might might decide to, to read a Christian book or whatever it is, right? But we want to make sure, we want to watch ourselves so that we don't fall into error, but we stand firm in the truth. Okay, so the first thing, at the very least, we need to watch ourselves. But secondly, at the very least, we need to be careful about the kind of ministry that we support. 
So when you're on Facebook and you, you, know, you like something or share something, you need to be careful, right? Because you don't want to promote those who are teaching error. So you have to think carefully. You don't want to share in that evil work of promoting error. And so you have to be careful thinking about the kinds of things that you support. And so I think those two things, at the very least, we see in 2 John. But I think there's a step further that we can go. See, if we are committed to the truth, if we believe that the truth really matters, and if we're committed to love, love for our fellow brothers and sisters, then that may lead us at time to speak out against false teaching, to say what someone is teaching is wrong. Or perhaps more likely for us here, that we may need to correct someone we're speaking to who has been influenced by false teaching and fallen into that error. Now friends, this this is a, a really hard thing to do. It's really hard to say to someone, look, I think you're wrong. But I think that's where the letter of 2 John leads us. If we want to walk in truth and love, then sometimes we need to stand up for the truth. And we need to speak out against error. So I'll give you a couple of examples of, of how or this opportunity uh, may arise, just to kind of give you an idea. So, you know, you're speaking to a, a Christian friend at church, and they say, oh, they've, they've been reading this great new book. And they're, they're really persuaded by it. And this book's been saying that to be saved, to be a Christian, you need to, you know, you need to, uh, you need to do this thing. Or you need to uh, be part of this group or have this experience. Right? So they're saying you, you need faith in Jesus, but you need something more. And yet, what did we see last week, uh, last year, sorry, in the book of Romans? No, salvation is by faith alone. You don't need to do something or be part of some group or have some experience. No, our confidence in salvation lies in the cross, in what Jesus has done. And so if your friend is persuaded by these things there may be an opportunity for you to stand up to the truth and say, well, actually, I I think you're wrong there. I think you've misunderstood the Bible. I think the Bible is very clear that salvation is by faith alone. But why would we do that? Why would we do such a thing? Because the truth matters. But also because we're committed to love, to love this person that we want to see them walking in the truth. I'll give you another example. This one a bit more controversial. So last week, not last week, last year, uh, we had our talks on uh, homosexuality. And one of the things that we saw is for a person who is a Christian, then it is not right for them to live in a homosexual relationship, right? So if you're speaking to someone who claims to be a Christian, and they say, oh, well, I think, you know, God doesn't mind how we live kind of thing, right? Which is what people will say there may be an opportunity for you to say, well, actually, I really think that's wrong. I think the Bible teaches something different. Now, friends, that's, that's going to be really hard to do, isn't it? But, but why would we do it? Because the truth matters. And we do it out of love. Love for that person and love for our brothers and sisters in Christ whom they may influence. I'll give you one more example. So you speaking to someone and they they say they're going to a particular conference, uh, a conference that you've heard teaches things that are wrong. Or they say they're reading a book that you've heard teaches things that are wrong. Now, I don't know if you'd want to sort of come out and say, oh, I've heard that that's wrong, right? 
But you'd at least want to have a conversation and say, oh, well, why are you going to that? You might want to do a little bit of research and find out, okay, well, what does that conference teach? Is it something you want to speak out against? Or what does that book teach? You know, if it's a book, you might say, hey, hey why, don't we, why don't we read it together? And then together we can work out what is truth and error. If you're, you, know, you lead youth group or you have kids, and it's good to be aware of what they're reading. What are the things that are influencing them? What are they listening to? So you can be aware of these things. And why would we do it? Because the truth matters, right? And out of love, love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. There's lots of different examples, and, and you may be sitting here thinking of a situation in your own life. But before you, you go out and speak to them tonight, guns blazing with some you know, big rebuke to kind of slap them down, this is an area we need to be really careful, friends. We need to have great wisdom and sensitivity. So before you speak to someone, I think it's great just to, just to stop for a moment and to pray. To pray that God would give you wisdom. Wisdom to know what to say and how to say it. You might want to speak to a mature Christian friend and you know, describe the situation. Do you think it's right that I speak to them? What might I say? What might I do? Because, friends, it's actually it's not that hard to say to someone, you're wrong. You can just go up and say, hey, you know what, you're wrong. Or even easier, you can write it on Facebook, on their wall, or on some discussion post. But friends, can I tell you what is really hard? It's really hard to correct someone in the truth graciously and sensitively. It's hard to take the time to listen to them, to try and understand their position. To avoid caricatures and name-calling. To commit to praying for them. And to do it face-to-face, not in the online world. Friends, that is really hard. It's really hard to speak the truth in love. And yet this is what 2 John leads us to do. See, to live this way is hard. But friends, it was hard for the original readers. John tells them to refuse hospitality, something shameful in that society, and yet that's why he's written this letter, to really encourage them that the truth matters and that they are called to walk in truth and love. And it's hard for us, isn't it? It's hard to speak up for the truth. Our world hates the idea that there's some kind of absolute truth. It says, you know, look, everyone has a valid opinion. So if you come out and say, look, I know the truth about the world and I think you're wrong, that's something that is really quite hard to do in our culture. But if we're convicted that the truth matters, if we're committed to love, costly love, love that sometimes means people don't like what we say, the kind of love that we see at the cross, the kind of love that seeks the good of others, then at times... With great wisdom and with great sensitivity, it may be a time for us to speak out against false teachers or to correct people who have fallen into error. Well, the final encouragement for us comes in verse 12, in John's farewell. He says this, he says, Though I have many things to write to you, I don't want to do so with paper and ink. Instead, I hope to be with you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. See, for John, his joy is seeing other people walk in truth 
and love. That's why he's written the letter and that's why he wants to visit them. And my prayer for you in 2015 is that would be your joy. Your joy would be to walk in the truth and love. And your joy would be to see others walk in truth and love. So with that in mind, let's join together and pray. And ask that God would convict us of the truth and lead us to walk in love. Let's uh, join together and pray. Our Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for the people who spoke the truth to us. We thank you for those who have taught us about the Lord Jesus. We give you great thanks for that and that you have given us eyes to see the truth. Father, we pray that you would help us to be careful, that you would guard us from error, but that we would stand firm in the truth because, Father, we know that the truth really matters. Father, we pray that we will be people who are committed to the truth and love to learn more about you, but that this would be something that really shapes our heart and leads us to love, the kind of love we see in 2 John, the kind of love that leads us to speak out the truth. And Father, we pray as we come across those whom we think are in error, we pray that you would give us wisdom and sensitivity as we think about what to say and how to say it. And Father, may we do it in a loving and gracious way, even though it may be hard for them to hear. And Father, we pray those we know, those whom we know who have fallen into error, Father, we pray that you would bring them back to the truth that they may know the grace, mercy and peace that is found in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray all this in his name. Amen.